Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This week, you guys, I have one of my own mentors. She has been an integral part of helping me move through my limiting beliefs, helping me feel through things that were standing in my way of becoming a religious transition and trauma recovery coach. Part of the reason this podcast exists is because of Shauna Kathleen, who is a mind-body mentor, a somatic sales expert. She's a speaker and mystic leader who teaches conscious businesswomen how to own their mastery through emotional fitness and heart-centered sales strategy. Shauna teaches all of this using the tools and expertise she's created from her life and studies and shows us how to read and utilize feedback from one of the most ancient technologies we have ever known, our bodies. She's a speaker, the owner of Goldmind, the host of Goldmine Podcast, and a self-proclaimed nerd who loves ancient culture, biohacking, nutrition, and anything with animals. She's been taking care of clients through somatic mind-body work for three years and doesn't plan on stopping. And you guys, I cannot wait to see what comes up in this conversation today because I know how much the things she's taught me have meant to me in my own healing in my own business, and in my own journey towards trusting my inner self. I can't wait to see what comes up in our discussion as we talk about religious trauma and just trauma in general and how somatic mind-body connection can really help us move into healing and move into a place of self-confidence and move into empowerment, which is what this podcast is all about. A quick note We will be talking about not only religious trauma, but we will be talking about abusive relationships and some sexual trauma as well in this podcast. So be aware of that. Welcome to the show, Shauna. I'm so excited to have you here today, and I can't wait to talk about all of the somatic mind-body work that I have learned from you in our containers together, and can't wait for you to tell the listeners all about what you do. Me too. I'm beyond excited. So, okay, let's, I love starting with people's stories and I love hearing how they got into the work that they do. So tell us a little bit about your journey, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. How did you get into coaching? How did you get into somatics and what are somatics? We'll talk about that too. I think a lot of people listening will be like, what does that word even mean? Yes. So I consider myself, for ease of explanation, a mind-body mentor. And I teach this through somatic mastery, which I'll explain how I approach somatics, because there's a lot of people that approach it differently. I have my client, Katie Lavelle, does like actual dance and movement, right, through yoga and these, these things, and she'll release trauma and heal the body that way. And I learned through my own experience, somatics for me is internal feedback. So it's It's 
um, if we think of soma means body, okay, so your body could be moving to release and get, gain these pieces of awareness about yourself. But I think the really cool thing is, as we experience emotions, each and every single emotion gives us a different tactile, actual feeling in the body. And so that internal feedback is when I say somatics, that's what I mean. And a really simple example for this is um, if anybody, I'm going to talk in super layman's terms, because there are a lot of people who aren't connected to their body specifically, if there is trauma happening there and everybody, most people, let me say, can tell the difference, can, can put themselves and imagine that they're in a really feel good place, like imagining feeling good. And a lot of the times that somatic experience is literally going to be tactile feelings. You're going to feel expanded. You're going to feel tingly. You're going to feel fluid. You're going to feel at ease in your body versus a somatic experience of bad, which is the polar opposite. Bad, when we can tap somebody into that internal feedback, it's going to feel constricted. It's going to feel like maybe you're angry and you have all this energy. You feel like you want to punch something. Bad is might feel numb. And so I think that as I started talking and getting into about emotions, as I started teaching about emotions and learning about it myself, I learned that emotions give us tactile feedback. And so when I say somatics, it's utilizing emotional mastery in a way that supports us in creating our life. Is that clear? Yeah, that's really clear. And actually, we did the podcast number two was all about getting in touch with our feelings and how we experience each individual emotion. So the listeners who've been listening from the beginning, you guys will know what she's talking about when she talks about, Mm. you know, what those good feelings feel like, because you did those exercises where you felt into a happy time and what your body was experiencing, or you felt into a time when you felt angry or you felt sad or you felt lonely and you know what that feels like in your, in your body. And so somatics, that's what it is for you is, those feelings in your body and how your body responds. Yes. And I think that it's, we're not learning this in school. And I think a lot of times we're programmed to be in our mind as anybody who does personal development work will, will know that. And when we can read our internal feedback somatically, we can then choose how we want to proceed. And I think it's in the choosing that helps us create our vision for me personally, I love sharing my story and I have shared it so many times that I've gotten a little bit better at shortening it up and zip, zip tying it real pretty. So when I was 25, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And that's, that's a very young, um, very quote. They did, it was a bad diagnosis at the time. It was unwanted for a 25 year old girl. Before that, really interesting. I had a lot of my own trauma, a lot of it being sexual and relationship trauma. So it was really interesting because I got, I received the Crohn's disease diagnosis at 25, January 9th. And then, you know, something happens when you get diagnosed where you relate and then you sort of get worse right after the diagnosis is this weird thing that happens in the medical establishment and can be treated way better. And I started diving into self-healing things. I started diving into what I can do because although the doctor said there was nothing I can do and it wasn't my fault, my family had taught me natural remedies. And so that was a big topic within my family. And so I started diving into 
the research and I had already had a little bit of a spiritual awakening four years before in 2011. And I noticed that the research that I was doing and what I was learning by pure just enjoyment. And now that I, I received this diagnosis, the place of disease in my body was my uh, specifically my small intestine um, ileocecal valve. So small where the small intestine go, moves into the, the colon, Okay, the large intestine. And strangely, I found that that spot in the body, if we're looking at like Eastern spiritual philosophy is directly correlated to personal power and, and self-expression. And when I reached back and I looked at my history and I looked at that abuse, I was not in my personal power. And so that is like one of the starts that really led me into somatics, because although that Crohn's disease diagnosis was not an emotion, it was. Well, I feel like so often a lot of the physical diseases that we have really do have emotion tied to them and they have experience tied to them. Sometimes they have trauma tied to them because when we don't feel through our emotions, they get, they, they find a cozy place in our body to live and we just carry them around with us. A lot of my clients will say that when we're first dipping down into the body, especially if they were raised in high demand religion where they haven't been allowed to feel a full expression of emotions, a lot of them will talk about their bodies feeling like hoarders houses, like mm. that it's, it feels dangerous. It feels cluttered, overwhelming, um, like too much. And a lot of them will get stuck in their throat because they're so used to living in their heads. They'll get stuck right here in their throat and we'll visualize unpacking boxes. I'll be like, all we have mm. to do today, all we have to do is just look at the boxes. That's all we like. That's all we're going to do today. And if you want to go further, then we can open one and just see what's in the one box. And at any point we can close it back up if it gets to be too much. So it's just learning to feel that power again. Like you said, feel the power of, I get to choose how much I look at and when it's too much and I get to fill into that. And I have the power to look at these emotions with courage and with compassion. And I also have the power to then move them out. I have the the power to clear out the house and to feel safe in my body again. So that really resonates. I have a really cool um, remind me to share because there's another thought I don't want to forget. Remind me to share the um, protein of emotion. It's it's a really cool scientific thing with emotions in the body. It's so interesting that you know your clients unpack the throat a lot because I do those somatic alchemy sessions, which um, Terry knows they're they're sessions to where I my client and I will dive into their body and their emotions and simply put it releases stuck emotions so people can gain clarity. A lot of the times I'm working with entrepreneurs or vision builders. And the main thing that comes up is the throat. I noticed that after like, I've been doing it for like two and a half years. I noticed it, that that's the one thing that comes up all the time. And I thought that it was just because I'm working with leaders. They have things to say. They want to say that, but it's interesting because I'm, I think you're working with a, a wider plethora of people that it's still their throat. Um, so I want to mention one more thing about the somatics and how it really like became a passion of mine because after I got sick, well, after I got diagnosis, I got sick, like really sick again, a year later, mm -hmm. the first diagnosis was not good. I almost died. 
Um, actually, they didn't understand how I was like alive in the hospital. And, uh, but then I had a surgery that was like a three month kind of a crappy process. And then I had a surgery and then I felt better after the surgery. I thought everything was going to be fine. That was some weird kind of um, invitation from the universe to support me because I then started to support my life a little bit more. I started to eat healthier. I got out of those relationships. I disconnected from some people, but I wasn't taking care of myself. And now if I stopped taking the medication, the disease came back a year later worse. And I, it got so bad. I couldn't, I could barely walk. I was gardening. I was trying to get outside in the sun because my partner, who is still my partner, my partner, Adam was very into holistic health. And so we were taking supplements. I was seeing a naturopathic doctor. Like that was not new to me. Then I was doing it and I knew how important the sun was. So I was trying to get out in the sun and garden at the house that we lived in. And I was so weak that I had to drag my body across the front of my garden to plant flowers. And I couldn't get back up without, I actually, I couldn't get back up without grabbing something. And yeah, that interesting experience there. And the strangest thing is I really started doing my, that's when I actually started practicing personal development, like practicing it on the daily. That's when I made my first investment, this thing for $57 a month. And I noticed my body was so sensitive to food. I couldn't keep down food. At one point I was, I was, couldn't swallow pills. I was gagging them up and I, my whole body withered away. I lost my physical body. My boobs were gone. Um, my legs had no muscle. I was just like skin and bones. I lost half my hair. And so my physical body was gone. And interestingly enough, I wasn't outwardly showing any emotion. My emotional body had seemed to be gone, but because I was so sensitive to the food, I was so sensitive to any movement. My partner couldn't touch me. It hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sensitive to everything going on. Plus I was doing my due diligence to heal myself that that created even more awareness and more sensitivity to everything that I started to not, we would like watch shows at night and shows have violence in them. You know, they just do. And I could not, I could not, I could feel it. I could feel the, the, the contraction, the dis-ease in my body so clearly. And that was the most interesting piece because then it, that for a span of a few months, I only could let in, I could only feel good things because I was feeling so bad on this end. I could not let anything else in. And so my somatic awareness started developing. My emotional awareness started developing. And when I became clear So that was like outwardly, I would see the negativity in the shows or in conversations. I wanted nothing to do with it. And then eventually with practice that became inward. And eventually I could see how my thoughts felt in my body Mm. and how my thoughts were creating my life and how my thoughts were creating emotion, which was creating a reaction out in my 3d environment. And so that was sort of the really big start of my somatic, my somatic passion. Oh my gosh, that's huge. And I love how you explain it too, because you talk about practicing personal development and practicing emotional awareness and practicing. And I think that's something that is so important to remember because I think often when we're wanting to heal, like we want that instantaneous Mm -hmm. gratification. We want it to just be like done. We've learned it and now it's done. And so often it's, we learn it we put it into practice, we start developing those new neural pathways. And as we strengthen the new neural pathways, the old patterns, the old neural pathways, they weaken and eventually die. 
And I love that you even like progressed it further. Like it wasn't just practice, but as you practiced the one thing, which was, you know, feeling into your body and how those, you know, movies and shows were affecting you, that then that made you even more aware of what was already going on in your body, the thoughts and the things that were happening there. And you just became more and more in tune. That's been my experience as well, because I was clinically depressed 11 years ago. Um, I got diagnosed. I started going to therapy completely disembodied. Like I was a disembodied person. I felt mad, sad, and glad. That was all I could recognize. <laughs> yeah. You're and not, it you was, weren't alone. You're definitely not alone. No, I think they found that something like two thirds of Americans can only recognize mad, sad, and glad. And mm. it's only when like, I would only recognize mad when I was in the middle of anger and it would almost surprise me. And I could only recognize sadness when I was already crying or on the verge of crying. And I could only recognize happiness when I was like, oh, I'm laughing and I'm having fun. But now, like, I can feel emotions welling up. Like, I can feel Mm -hmm. them coming. It's not when I'm right in the middle of them. So I can feel them coming because of the practice. But it all started with noticing it after it happened. That's how it started for me was I was angry. What did that feel like? what led to that? What was I thinking at the time? Like just trying to get curious with what was happening after it happened. And then slowly, like you said, you start getting more and more aware to now I can notice like, oh, I'm starting to tighten up. I'm feeling angry. And this is why I'm feeling angry. This is what's going on in my head. What do I want to do with this? Or do I just want to release it? How do I want to deal with this? Yeah. There's a really cool uh, practice when people are starting to learn about limiting beliefs that I want to share with you. It's once you learn how to see limiting beliefs, they're like, you can't not see them everywhere. So, but yes. when so, when somebody starts to want to learn to practice to create their life and to take radical responsibility and I have people watch a show, I have people specifically find limiting beliefs when they're watching a show and point them out. And then eventually they'll find that more and more and more. And then eventually that will just work into their own internal dialogue. And they'll they'll start finding them for themselves, which is, it's just a really cool practice. I love that because you're, what you're doing is you're taking that shame piece that often keeps us from looking at limiting beliefs. You're taking that away. Cause I find that a lot of times there's a self-protective sort of Mm. piece that happens with limiting beliefs. We don't want to look at them because sometimes it brings up shame particularly with religious trauma and stuff, we've spent a whole life supporting a big conglomeration of limiting beliefs sometimes. Yeah. And so we don't want to look at that, but you're allowing them to start practicing by watching a show and looking for the limiting beliefs there. So it has nothing to do with them. They're just getting into that practice and then, uh, then they can, then they can see it in themselves. And it's, it's a little easier to do that. I think like you're just kind of easing them into it. I love that. That's good. I think I was thinking about religious trauma coming on here. First of all, I was looking at your, your podcast episode. Cause I thought if I'm going to be on Terry's podcast, I want to listen to some. And so I actually looked today for the first time and I'm like, totally, I was looking at your, your titles. Like the one was like effective versus toxic positivity or something. And I'm like, yes, oh my gosh, yes. The titles are so, like the things that you're talking about are so fantastic. And I was thinking about religious trauma specifically. And before we got, before we started recording, we were sort of talking about there's, there's so much other trauma other than religious trauma, parental, sexual, emotional, all these things. Mm -hmm. 
what I think is really interesting is I feel like if we take the thought of religious trauma and we simplify it, it's it kind of all is religious trauma in a sense of not that it, that sexual trauma has anything to do with religion per se, or or parental trauma has anything to do with religion, but it, I think it all has to do with our potential as humans being cut off, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that religious trauma a lot of a lot of the times it's, it's shame and blame and, and these games like that. But I think that's really everything. Yeah, I think all trauma, when you boil it down, it it is that shame, that fear, and that inability to be your authentic self. It's that feeling of I need to hide pieces of myself or I need to hide my whole self and take on a completely different persona in order to be loved, uh, cared for, accepted, um, part of the tribe to get my needs met. Yeah. All of that's traumatic. I wanted to just speak into the science thing really quickly with emotions in the body. Yes, please. So it's important to note that although I'm speaking about somatics, which is body, somatic, somatic, soma is body, somatics is body. I, I teach mind body because when you dive into it, although they seem to be opposites, they, they're paradox that works so well together. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the times we can demonize the mind because the mind can have its own set pathways of thought patterns. And there's the subconscious and like all these things. And it's the thoughts that create the emotion. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to just, I just want to say it's, it's, mind body to me is the most integrated way to, to create our lives and seeing the feedback of both. Cause I can also look at the internal feedback of my mental narrative, mm-hmm. my, the voice inside my head that's talking. So there's this Dr. Bruce Lipton. Do you know him? I don't. Oh my gosh. He wrote a book called the biology of belief. And there's a little snippet in there that I just love teaching people so much and everybody loves it. So he's actually one of three, Bruce Lipton. Um, Joe Dispenza is a little bit more known. He's kind of with Joe Dispenza. And then Greg Braden is another guy. And they all kind of talk about the same thing differently. And Bruce Lipton was a high-level doctor. He worked with stem cells. And so he started noticing these things in stem cells. And when I learned that an emotion, like when we think about creating our lives, if we want to call it manifestation, which is not my favorite word, but the fact that we, we can create our life, we hear that thoughts become things, right? That's Mm -hmm. something that we hear. And I learned that an emotion, the second we have an emotion, a thought that creates an emotion, it releases a protein, a physical thing in the body. And that protein feeds the body. It feeds our cells in our body. And each one of our cells has I believe hundreds, don't get me wrong on the number, but it has like these hundreds of receptor sites that are like open little mouths that are waiting for, for protein for food. And if each thought we think releases a protein that feeds the cell, we may have a cell, our cells may be attuned to all of the different emotions, let's say when we're younger. They can feed on love, the emotion of love, they can feed on the emotion of fear, they can feed on the emotion of bliss, anxiety, anger, all the things. Then we either have a highly emotional traumatic experience, or we have an elongated sort of dark period in our lives where our thoughts and our emotions are more air on the side of negativity, fear, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
well, what happens is the cell sheds those other receptor sites because it's getting all of this anxiety. And it's like, well, I get to eat more of this anxiety. So then it pops up more receptor sites for anxiety. And then what the hell happens is we decide, okay, Terry, help me not be anxious anymore. And then when I go to do those practices and I go to change my thought patterns, my cells feel like they're going to die because they're not getting that anxiety food. And that's such a thing that happens when we do any sort of release work, trauma release work, changing and beliefs, is we literally feel like we're going to, we're going to die, which I know on a philosophical level is like an ego thing. Like I get that. And there's a really physical explanation for it because our cells, they do, they have to shed those, those receptor sites. So they're craving that anxiety or that whatever thoughts that you're thinking on, on a regular basis. And maybe those thoughts are, um, you know, really fear-based and then that's going to create more, more fear thoughts for you. And then more fear thoughts is, is creates a, a very fear-filled life. Yeah. I just think that. Oh my gosh. I, I love that you brought this up. Kevin and I were actually just having a discussion a couple nights ago where we were talking about the addictive nature of depression because depression is my experience. It's never been his experience. Depression is not something he has ever struggled with or like self-image or like self-worth or any of that. Like, so it's a completely foreign experience for him. And yet my experience has helped him help his clients because he's a marriage and family therapist as well. So, but we were talking about the addictive nature of depression. And he was asking me, do you feel like depression was addictive in some ways? And I said, yeah, I do. And I said, I think part of it was just, it was the unknown and I was used to living in depression and it was my comfort zone. So in some ways, like it was, it was my warm, cozy place, even though it felt terrible and awful. Like it was, it was feeding you literally. (laughs) And now I'm like, that makes so much sense because if we have receptors that we're feeding off of the depression, then yeah, it's, it's craving that, that comfortable place. It's craving the food that it's used to. And then you you can change that. And then like, it could crave happiness, which is cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is where we've gotten now. Like I'll still have moments where Mm -hmm. I'll notice myself, especially during the pandemic, I noticed myself kind of maybe wanting to reach for that. Like, Oh, the brain was like, we know what to do. We could reach for this. And I was like, Oh no, we're not going to reach for that. So yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating. I'm going to have to learn more about that, but there are proteins that our cells crave that come from our emotions. That is... Which is mind-body again. The mind yeah. creates the thought, creates the emotion, creates the protein, which feeds the body. It's just like, you can't get out of it. It's, it's, they're two in the same. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I love that you were talking about was this idea that our mind and our body do need to be connected because it's actually two ways of knowing, like both of those create our inner knowing. We can't just feel the physiological feelings without checking in with our brain, we won't move forward. We'll know what we're feeling in the moment, but we won't know why we're feeling it, or we won't be able to heal past trauma. We won't be able to move forward. And if we're just in our mind, we're detached from our body, which is also part of the knowing we need the two together in order to have that inner compass, to be able to have that, that voice, that wisdom that comes from inside of us, that guides us not only to heal the past, to be fully present in the, in the moment and also to create the future. So yeah. So you brought up something really good. Something else I like to teach. We can just be aware of our body. 
We could live that way. We could just be in our mind. We can live that way. We're not going to die. It's not going to kill us unless, of course, disease happens. But people live that way all the time. They're either way in their body and super emotional and don't know which way is up, or they're way in their mind and analytical and have a challenge experiencing life. And what I've come to find is that 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 integration of the mind and the body and both our pitfalls and potentials, like pairing mind body together gives us access to the soul or divinity or God or whatever is, is all things for someone. And I think I just connected something. So I was brought up on the Bible, right? And when I started getting into my own spiritual belief systems, things started deconstructing for me. And I remember having this breakdown moment where Um, And I've talked about this before, so it's interesting I haven't put it together. I remember having this breakdown moment where I was confused. I was in this dark night of the soul. I, I, I didn't know where to go. I was lost, and I was looking to find answers, but I didn't feel at that time I could do that in the Bible anymore. And that's where I always went to find answers. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember crying to my partner about it. And I was like, I don't know where to find answers anymore. And the answers that I was looking for come through my body knowing now. And at that time, I wasn't connected to my body. I was mentally trying to find a sentence that supported me in that answer. And that's sort of been my journey since then is diving into my own inner knowing. And whether my inner knowing is me or a higher power, it doesn't really matter to me um, at this point anyways. And so uh, interest. Thank you for bringing that up. No, you're so welcome. I'm Man, it really resonates with my experience as well. Leaving a high demand religion the common thread that seems to be there for everyone is that dark night of the soul that you talked about and that feeling of I need answers and the old way I got answers, which was to either have a religious authority tell me what the answers are or to read a religious text and it will tell me what the answers are or to pray because often what happens is when we leave high demand religion, God and the religion or the you know authoritarian structure are so intermingled that many times people will have to discard God at least for a time mm-hmm. to take a break. It's like healing from an abusive relationship. You have to like step back and take a break. I'm there now. You. Yeah, yeah. And it's so difficult. You don't just like hop back into a relationship with a different God. You have to like heal and figure out like, what do I want from a God and what would be healthy for me and what would that look like? And you have to kind of heal all those things. And so what you described is what so many of us, I would say the vast majority of us go through is this idea of where do I get answers now? If I can't listen to religious authorities, I'm not sure about the religious texts and I might not even have a relationship with God. What do I do? And I love how you said it's that that mind-body connection, that inner knowing is where we start. And whether it's just us or whether it's some higher power speaking through us doesn't really matter, but that's where the answers come. That knowing has been there all along. So, And would you, wouldn't you agree that that knowing is t- a tactile feeling? It's feedback. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Like we've, I mean, we've talked about the power of the pause on this podcast before, which is allowing ourselves to stop and just feel into our body to feel those tactile, like physiological Mm. feelings of does this feel, I use the word delicious. Does this feel delicious? Is it something exciting and expansive to me? Or do I have reservations about it? And can I explore those? What's going on with that? Yeah. 
I think that leads us really good into, into like trauma in the body because yes, sometimes, sometimes feeling good is scary. So there's like this weird thing that happens, right. As I'm sure you explored and talked about at least once on here, because that's such a thing that we don't quite recognize in the beginning that feeling good can, can feel scary and unsafe. And I think when I started recognizing that trauma was a thing, I, I actually started to um, take on the fact that I was, that, that rape did happen multiple times. And I started to just, re- the picture started to fall into place mm-hmm. for me. And I got really clear and I wasn't hiding behind my story. Not only was I not hiding behind my story, meaning sugarcoating things, mm-hmm. I was also not hiding behind my victimhood. So I was not sugarcoating my actions either, mm-hmm. which I think is are two very different things that get to be paired together. And when that happened, I, I've done a lot of different types of healing work. I, I did go to um, therapy for a short bit, actually. And that was before I got really, really sick. I had to stop because I, I got too sick, but I did some therapy. I've worked with mentors. I've done plant medicine. Um, and I've, I've approached it from a lot of different a lot of different ways. And I think in my daily life now, and here we're coming back to what we talked about before, where it's this, it's this nonlinear ever evolving process and things will continue to come back up. And so I think one of the things that happens when people figure out that they can heal trauma is they think that they can be healed and it's a healing that takes place and will show up in different times of your life and all of these things. And so now when I go about my life, I notice, how, how do I want to say this? I commit to noticing where I numb out, shut off, or shy away. And that could point me in the, into the direction of something that, that shifted my self-worth or belief system. And, and sometimes I think another really important piece to trauma is it doesn't have to be dramatic. (laughs) Like my story is so dramatic and so movie worthy and how I like to say it. And I'm sure I said this when you were in firebird um, is that I, you know, I almost died twice from a disease that supported me in learning how to create my life, let alone all the trauma that happened before them. And during that, peace and healing from that peace shifted my reality. And I started to create my life from there. And I can, can, I can confidently say I have been creating my life for the last five years. Mm -hmm. And, but there could have been a guy who almost killed the deer on a side of the road one day at 7 34 PM, nothing happened. And that could have been a traumatic awakening experience for somebody. And, and the traumatic experience gets to be awakening experience. And sometimes it's not at the time, but when we unpack it, it's always awakening. So I want to be really clear for everybody listening. It is not necessary to create dramatic, a dramatic story for yourself in order for you to learn how to love life. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. We talk about big T and little T traumas that everyone mm. experiences trauma and that there are big T traumas, which you talked about is like those big dramatic, like movie worthy traumas, right? And it's the ones we all think of when we think of trauma. And it's actually what keeps a lot of people who experience little t trauma from labeling it as trauma because it was being forgotten at a gas station when you were six, or it was 
standing up and stuttering over your words in front of your sixth grade history class, or it was, you know, it was something small, having a boyfriend break up with you or, you know, just something. It could be anything. But we all experience little traumatic events, whether it was just our interpretation of the event or whether it was, you know, actual abuse or something that was meant to be abuse. It really doesn't matter. It's how we take it in and how it changes our lives. And I love that you bring up it can be anything and that those traumatic experiences, yes, can be trauma and can be transformative. They can be both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's the emotional experience that matters. It's not the story. Mm-hmm. And it's just like if I'm playing video games with my partner, Adam, we emotionally react differently to like loud bangs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of the same idea. Um, there was something that came up and I'm like, yes, let's move there. You were talking about big T and little T. Oh, I feel so emotional about this. And I haven't I keep wanting to speak about it publicly on my social media and I, and I haven't yet. And maybe it's fear. I'm not sure. I know it's going to happen. And obviously I'm going to, I'm going to speak it out right now. So this is a first time thing um, other than maybe like years ago, but being around people learning and seeing how belief structures work, seeing how people's actions are based off of belief structures, seeing how narratives of stories are created in our, in our heads that actually aren't true. When I share, I stopped sharing my Crohn's disease story because I was bringing people along the journey when my like hair was still half out. And I stopped sharing it because I noticed that people would get jealous. Interesting. Like maybe, I don't think it was quite jealous of me, but I would notice that people would, and they, this wouldn't, this isn't something that they would direct out say, but I see people, whether it's my story or somebody else's or the movies, I see people thinking like romanticizing a a traumatized life, romanticizing regs to riches, if we want to put it in like a really layman's terms. And it hurts my heart so much because then what, what happens if that's romanticized is you create it and it doesn't have to be created. It doesn't, you, you, we get to learn from other people. And I know when I, that's, I think that's the reason that I ended up diseased in the first place to get a little bit deeper because I remember specifically, Terry, I feel like I might've told you this a long time ago. I remember specifically, I wanted, I wanted a disaster. And I remember in my bed, I was like 11 years old, my day bed in my room that had like, it looked like a hippie room. I remember praying, praying that I would get hurt so bad And a guy would come along to help me through, like I praying that a night to, or a walk to remember scenario, Mm. but, but, you know, and I was praying for like, let me get in a car wreck and have to go to the hospital. And I was praying to find love that way. And then I remember specifically that night because my, my family told me, be careful what you wish for. I'm like, but you know, I don't want to die. I just want people to think I might die. And then what do you know? I that that experience culminated over years and years and years and years. And what happened? Not only did I almost die, not only did the people around me think I was gonna die, I met a man who came to save me when I was sick. And like 11, because of the romantic the romanticizing of 
that trauma to to Victor Victor life is this is this coming off the way I wanted to yeah because I think what happens is we have an idea of how things will go and subconsciously that's exactly what we do we start reaching for experiences and start reaching for things that create the life that we envision for ourselves yeah yeah I just I don't want people to to create something that doesn't have to be there by yeah. wishing that they had that really awesome story that like could sound really good on a radio show um, because that's just going to shave time off the beautiful thing that the beautiful life that we can have. And I think, I think it's important to talk about, you don't have to experience big trauma in order to have that big life change. Like we just talked about a minute ago. And if you have experienced big trauma, it's not like it's game over. You can create that into, you can transform that, transmute that into a beautiful, expansive experience for you that allows you to learn even more about yourself. And then that ripples out to everyone that you touch. Because I think it gets to be both. Sometimes we have people that romanticize the trauma and having the big story. And sometimes we have people that have experienced horrific trauma in their lives that feel like, well, I'm broken and it's game over and I can't do anything from here on out. Mm. And neither one is true. Both of them are limiting beliefs. So if you want to talk about that other side of feeling caught in, in the trauma, I'm a proponent of that. Our history gives permission to our future and doesn't take it away. It does not take away permission to the future we want to create. And I like to, um, I can use my own life as an example. I, it was because I had this experience of near-death disease that I know how to create my life and feel good and thrive. Or it was because I had um, my first relationship was extremely abusive. And then the two after that were differently, extremely abusive that I get to now know what I want and create a fantastic relationship. It was that those experiences of that contrast that give me that gold, the golden nuggets that can teach us how to actually create the life that we want. Because I'll tell you what, I haven't had, you know, I'm not a mom yet, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what type of mom I want to be. I don't know how I want to raise my children when, and if they come and somebody who has had at least one child, knows a little bit differently on the second one and knows a little bit differently on the third one. And I think that we can look at our history and if somebody feels caught in the pits of hell, I think that the first thing, and I'd be curious of what you have to say for this too. I think the first thing that that someone can do to support them in feeling powerful is diving into how they had power the whole time how they could have responded differently. And it sounds like it's going to guilt and shame somebody into feeling bad about how they acted. And when we can really dive into that radical responsibility, we see that we still have that power right now and it can start slowly. Mm, I'm so glad you brought this up. It's, it's funny. That's the question I asked this morning in the group was which areas of your life do you feel disempowered and what can you change to take your power back? I think so often we think that people take our power from us. And maybe that was true when we were two or three or four years old, when we were very, very young. But we created stories that we didn't have power in certain places in our life. That was certainly true for me in religious trauma. I thought I didn't have power. And I did all along. 
And if you're feeling triggered right now, if you're listening to this, yes. and you're feeling <laughs> triggered, like know that that's okay. Like just get curious with that trigger. You get to, again, you're the authority in your life. You get to have defenses around this if you want. You can still be angry at people if you want. You can hold people accountable. Like this is not putting all the blame on you. It's just helping you recognize you're not disempowered now. You've always been powerful. You continue to be powerful. You will remain powerful in the in the future. So it's meant to be empowering. If it's triggering, pay attention to that. Get curious with it. All of those feelings get to be okay. They all get to be valid. Just explore them. You can be pissed off at me. It's totally fine. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was, <laughs> I was, I was like, maybe we should put a little, and I think that's good. Yeah. Just witness what, what the conversation is. You don't have to, you know, take what resonates. Yeah, absolutely. Take what, what lifts you, take what feels nourishing, take what feels delicious, leave everything else on the table. So the interesting thing happens, and this is going to lead into a little practice somebody can do if they want to see maybe where they can find the most power in their, in their history, if specifically if somebody's feeling stuck. Um, so I had this experience, um, and I'll get the least amount of graphic as possible, but it is, I am going to talk about two experiences of rape. So I had this experience, my very first experience with, um, my very first love and this happened, that happened. And the moment that that happened, my arms were pinned above my head and, you know, Okay. So that was an experience that happened one time. Well, I didn't, I learned a little bit from that, but I had continued to be in these abusive relationships for probably another five years. And I had the experience at 23, two years before my Crohn's disease diagnosis, maybe I was 24 then where a different guy, oh God, that I was talking to did a similar thing. And what do you know? I was in the same exact position that I was when I was 19 with my arms pinned over my head. And I thought that was really interesting because of just how am I here again? How is this pattern happening again? Like what the hell is happening? Mm -hmm. And something that I found diving into my own history, actually one quick thing before that, I think it's interesting to note that before either of those situations happened, plenty of opportunity to see that that was not the the place I wanted to be. That was not the person I wanted to be with. There was plenty of moments to where I ignored my own inner knowing that this was not right. That led me to this very extreme experience. And so that's sort of what, of what Terry was talking about. Where like, this is, I allow, I, I said yes to all of that. And I continued to say yes to it because I didn't know any better of how to say yes to my power. And I think that's really important. And I think the thing when I work with clients and when I do this for myself, because when I started Goldmind, which is my company, um, let me be clear, my one person company, um, I, I, it's important to find like pillars of what we're teaching as mentors and coaches and entrepreneurs, even if it's just a product, we want like pillars of what the values of the product. And I revisited my history through an exercise in a book that I'm not recalling and I sort of created it to be my own. And and what you can do if you're feeling stuck or maybe you're not feeling stuck and you just are curious, or maybe you're going to start a business and you're curious is you can take like the top three. I wouldn't do more than three because it is a intense process, but take the top three most life-changing moments, like your top three pain points, no matter how big or little T they are, take them and 
write them all down from, from like what happened, how you were feeling, um, what did you want to happen? And then uh, what you learned from it and maybe what you were ignoring from it. And you sort of write something similar. So you write the whole process down to the knowledge you gained from it for all three of those things. And what my favorite part is, is looking back at what, what I was ignoring. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some overlap and there's going to be some things that really don't match at all. And my overlap was mind body connection self-expression and personal power, which is interesting because mind-body connection was not only available in my Crohn's disease diagnosis, it was available in for me to learn in the other two pay points. Self-expression was throughout all of them and then um, personal power was throughout all of them. And so that gives me specifically Shauna, that gives me three areas that I have had repeated pain around which in my belief system is the three areas I have the most power around. And I can learn the most about because I have that drastic contrast of what it feels like to be in that fearful place. And we, let me break it down. We will not experience love to the extent of its vastness and beauty. If we are blocking any sort of low unpreferred emotion, because there's no contrast there. I don't know what the heck black is without white. Mm-hmm. I love that you that you talk about that. We um, we talk about that you can't selectively numb emotions. That when you numb the ones that are uncomfortable, you numb all the emotions mm. because you need the contrast. And also, when you can trust yourself to handle anger, you can trust yourself to handle the full extent of joy, which can be terrifying. I think most of us have had that experience of having a really joyful experience and almost immediately like there's some sort of like fear or anxiety that comes in because once you have joy, there's also the fear of it being taken away. And so in order to experience the full expression of joy, you have to trust yourself to be able to deal with fear. You have to trust yourself to be able to deal with loss. You have to trust yourself to be able to deal with those emotions that contrast the joy because they're they're all part of it. It's all part of the same thing. You have to be able to know that you will catch yourself with loss and fear in order to be able to open up and expand into joy. And they're all just feeling, they're all just feelings, which I think is we get really tripped up. We identify with the emotion Mm -hmm. and back to the somatic thing, like fear is a different sensation than joy. It is a different sensation. It does not mean anything. I fear things all day long that never happen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was actually just in a um, a support coach in a sexual empowerment container with Stephanie J. Ooh. And she said, she was always saying, we are not the emotion. We are simply the being that gets to enjoy and observe the emotion. And so I like that. We're just, we're just the person that gets to enjoy the, the sensation that's in our body and learn from it. It's, it's something that we, that we view, that we experience. It's not who we are. You know, I feel like I can take it back to a, a simple, a simple way to like explain why learning somatics is important. If we learn what let's let's go basic. If we learn what would you say, glad, sad, and mad. Mm-hmm. So let's say that that's all we can we can learn to feel in our body. We we haven't understood that mad is different than anxious or rage or or anger. So if you know what mad, sad, and glad feels like tactilely you can tap in and you can you start to 
see what the somatic experience is. Is it tingly? Is it, is it numb? Is it retractive? Does it like, I know that mad anger specifically is one of the first emotions measured to create energy in the body. So that's why we want to like punch things. Like it sort of feels like we have this energy that wants to escape. People can use anger to work out. And so when we can start to get um, comfortable with, when we can start to get familiar with what those emotions feel like in our body, we then can become the, the thermostat, not the thermometer, right? So we can, instead of noticing that you're mad in the middle of snapping at somebody or you know, doing whatever you do when you're mad, you can learn how to uh, access that before that even happens. Or even if you can't, and you notice it in the middle of the reaction, because we can practice what glad feels like, it's such a simple practice. It's like, oh, my body feels mad right now. Not I am mad. Mm-hmm. I feel mad. I'm experiencing anger. That, that's a really good way to like back off from, from making it mean anything about you. I'm experiencing anxiety. Then you can be like, oh, well, how does this feel differently from glad? What does glad feel like? And you, we can literally bring that energy, that frequency, that tactile feeling into the body and then create our life from there. How would I respond if I felt glad? How can I bring myself to glad? And then we start to notice. And then it just like all builds because then we start to notice when we feel glad. And then we can do more of those things. Or if we're getting mad and we notice we feel glad when we take a walk, that gets to be like a high vibe list thing that we can start to have this emotional mastery. And I like to, to think about it as emotional management and emotional freedom. Like we get to feel free and feeling the feelings. We're not have full control because that we would have no, I don't, I believe that's necessary for life and growth. So we get to feel. I actually think we end up stuffing whenever we try to have full control over our emotions. We end up like denying them, stuffing them, pretending like we're not feeling them. And that creates more somatic problems. More. Yeah. It's stuck in the body more. And then emotional management is being that, being that thermostat. And so Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad that came up because that's a, a really, really easy way to see why somatics can be like so useful and so important because then we just see, we see what helps us feel good and we know how to, change our state, you know, 50, 60% of the time when we can practice that. Yeah. That's really important. If you're like a mom or a leader or spreading a message or really any human. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I find too, that when you can start to feel that emotion or you can recognize what the emotion is, you can label it, you can name it. And you realize that you're the observer. You're not the emotion. It gives you the freedom to validate that that emotion is valid. Like that whatever happened, like that emotion's valid to thank it for whatever message it came to give you because anger often comes to tell us when our boundaries were crossed or we were treated unjustly or we feel like something isn't fair or something isn't like resonating with our values. So thank it for the message and the knowing that it's bringing to us. And you then have the power to choose how you want to deal with that emotion and where you want to come from. Do you want to come from the place of rage, which is where I used to come from quite a lot before I started this whole journey of practicing? Or do I want to choose, like, do I want to choose something where I process, I process the anger and then after I've processed the anger, then I deal with what needs to be dealt with. I think it gives us so much more power. Kevin and I were having a fight, I think like two weeks ago and our fight sounded like our conversation and we were kind of laughing about that. Because I was like, this is what anger sounds like for us now, 
Whereas earlier in our marriage, it was like throwing toilet paper rolls and like crying and sobbing. And now it's, you know what? That feels like you're saying this. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, well, help me understand what you're saying. And like being able to set boundaries and like express ourselves and like talk about our feelings. And because we take that pause, we take the moment to like recognize I'm feeling anger. This is why. And then checking in with the other person. Like, I'm feeling like you're not caring about my feelings about this. Is that is that what's going on? Like, let's talk about this. And then we have a discussion back and forth instead of raging and door slamming and toilet paper rolls flying and, you know, phone books being ripped in half that that was impressive when that happened oh. at one point like someone just went Krack. so yeah so a, a way that I like to see if like do I want to manage this right now or do I want to feel this right now mm. I I tend to my first go-to is always manage like that's just my that's my ego I just want to be able to control it and so that's that tends to be my first go-to but if I manage it and I either can't get out of it or I get out of it and quickly drop back into it. Then I feel like it's time for me to feel it. And sometimes feeling it is like 45 seconds, just mm-hmm. giving it my attention. And I think a lot of the times when we allow ourselves to cry out of trust versus out of suffering, um, you'll you'll hit a point at like five minutes. And you're like, I think I'm done. I think I'm done here. It doesn't, I think people think that it has to be this big, huge thing. And maybe in the learning, it's a little bit bigger of a process, but it doesn't have to be. Well, I find when you've stuffed your emotions for so long, it it does take time to unpack them. And there there may be a longer process of unpacking. But once you get to a place where the house is clean and it's no longer Mm -hmm. a hoarder's, you know, nest of boxes and stuff, that you're not just processing. Because I find what would happen is when shame would come up, you're not just dealing with shame right now. You're dealing with all the shame that's still in your Mm. body. And so it, it felt a lot bigger. When I was dealing with anger before, it wasn't just this anger. It was years of anger that I had stuffed and pretended like I wasn't feeling. But now that I've cleaned a lot of that out, when I feel anger, it's just this moment of anger. And so it is a lot easier to process. And it does go a lot quicker when I can just allow myself to feel it and decide what to do with it, if anything, because maybe I just needed to acknowledge that pissed me off and then I'm fine. But sometimes I'm like, that pissed me off and that's a pattern. We should probably address that. Do you find, and I feel like speaking to somebody who feels really stuck, maybe they're just learning how to process or thinking about learning how to process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, my body is so much cleaner, it's so much less cluttered than, than I, it was before. And sometimes I still find long-term trauma hidden in there. And yep. I think it's important to like, normalize that and people who are in the work, like I teach people how to do this work and I still find it. Um, And so the hitting that point, I think it's really challenging for people to start when they see people who, I don't know, looking for a point of perfection that just doesn't seem to quite exist, especially if life like life's itself and some outside big traumatic thing really happens, that's going to bring up a lot or create something. Mm yeah, I I love the the hoarding house. I love the hoarding house so much. That's so good, and you're so right. And I think a lot of the learning in the beginning, on top of that, is just learning learning how to sense, like the learning of the how to sense, as I think was what takes the most time. And you know, I sit, 
I have sessions that are an hour and we explore one or two, you know, so it's definitely depends where you are. Absolutely. Like same with our sessions. It's with my sessions. It's usually one or two boxes. That's it. Like we're, we're not trying to heal all of it at once. It's what's bothering you the most right now. What's the one right in the front? We open up that box. We deal with what's in that box as much as we can tolerate at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's a really painful box. And so sometimes we just get brave enough to open it and look at it. And sometimes we start to actually get curious with it and and then, you know, begin to release it and move through it. But knowing that we have the power, right, to like just look at the box or open it or even like take it out and get curious with it and like move it if we want to. And have the control to stop. Yep. At any point we can say, you know what, that's good for today. And I'm going to close that box back up and I will come and look at it later. I recently learned something about myself that you reminded me of. It's my journey. So as I said before, a lot of my trauma is sexual and offshoots of sexual trauma, emotional, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was in a mastermind and we were talking, it had nothing to do with trauma, but sexual trauma came up. And I was talking about making friends and my challenges and making friends specifically like friends who are like-minded like myself and, and enjoying them. And the woman, um, Raquel, actually said, uh, that's probably why you're so good at business friendships, because it's transactional. You know what you're getting, you know what you're giving. And there's no question about it. And I was like, holy crap, it's, that's 100% it. And I just noticed it the other day. I have a, I, have a, I bought this a hose. It's the wrong kind of a hose. It's, it's for a garden and it's not for like watering. It's just a, the wrong kind of hose that I then thought, well, that would be a really good opportunity to go catch up with Brian, who I never talked to, one of my neighbors, because I'm like this awkward, I didn't grow up with neighbors, so I don't know how to do it. And I was thinking like, I should go see if he wants this hose and then I could go connect with him. And then I thought, I was like, Shauna, there you're doing it again. Like you're making it a transactional thing. Mm-hmm. I struggle with the same thing. Being raised in the high demand religion where we were assigned friends. Like I was literally oh. assigned people. I was supposed to like get together with every month and check up on. And like, I didn't really like, I can be very robotic in my friendships if my friends only knew, like, I have to, like, schedule in, you should probably get together with them. It's been two weeks. Like, it's, it's very, I'm having to learn how to quit being quite so robotic and actually learn to connect more organically with people. And it's gotten better, but I still find myself getting into this, like, mechanical way of, it's an assignment. It's a checklist item. It's, yeah, yeah it's very strange. Me too. Yeah. I wonder if people listening, if you guys can relate with that, that's like one of those points that I don't talk about very often. I'd love to hear about that in the comments or messages. Tell me your experiences with making friends. And do you find that it's robotic now that you've left high demand religion? Was it robotic when you were in it? Or do you find that that's something that you don't struggle with? I don't know. I haven't talked about that much with other people yet. Me neither. And it is though. It is. It's sometimes it feels like a list to be checked. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can get into my work and I, I like work and I do like the transactional part of having friends that are business related. 
because I know what's expected and I know what I'm supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. I think it's not so much that it's a transaction. It's just, I know what you want from me and I know how to provide that. Yeah, man, getting all vulnerable here. And I know. <laughs> Woo. I noticed one of the other things that came up for my, my trauma was not wanting to finish things mm. because one of the experiences we started mutually and it didn't end mutually. And, uh, so now I'm like, I won't, I, Adam, I mean, like every time I just don't finish and I'm like, I just don't want to finish it. I just don't want the rest of it. And I know that that's, that comes from something, something way back in there of like, no, I'm saying no. And that's going to be no. And I'm not going to finish my pop or the last three chip crumbs in the, in the end of the bag. Um, thank you for getting vulnerable with me there. No, thank you. This is fun. And I feel like when we get vulnerable, it gives people that are listening permission to get vulnerable with themselves and with mm. others and to like seek support because so often we feel like little, little islands, little ships in the night, like passing each other, but not really ever connecting. And my goal here is to be the first one to get naked is what I often say. Like I will be the first one to get naked to make it more comfortable for other people to get naked. So yeah. So refreshing too. Um, so one of the things with trauma and disease, let's go there. Okay. Because I think a lot of times they're highly related. I actually just found out, interestingly enough, so you've been reading Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. right? And um, there's another book called When the Body Says No. That's by Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate. It's a little bit like dark but very eye-opening. Um, so it's not like a happy ending type of book. It's like, this is my research. This is what I see. These diseases come from these experiences specifically, mm. which is really, really interesting. So the, both of these books talk about the body's response to trauma or disempowerment, if we want to call it that. And I noticed when I when I did my own history report on myself and I went back and I was looking at it, the patterns of things that showed up for me, the patterns are the key, you guys, like the patterns of things that show up. Like occasionally I'll have like one wonk thing that happens that sucks, but isn't like the pattern of me creating my life. It's just like the side mission thing that I can have the option to, to finish or not. And uh, when I looked at the pattern and I started to learn that the body speaks to me through feeling, mm-hmm. I noticed that um, right before I got diagnosed, I was living in Florida at the time. My living situation was not great. And every night I would cry. And every night I would cry. Um, most nights I would be in like the fetal position. And I had this burning that at that point was coming up to my throat, but went down to my solar plexus, like right below my rib cage. And it was on and off and this bur- just this burning and... I had gone to the hospital. I think they, they thought that I was trying to get pain medicine. So nothing actually happened there. They just gave me some stuff and told me that, that, to go home. Um, and so in my mind, I'm like, well, I don't know what this is. It feels like heartburn. I was taking Pepto-Bismol tablets. If it would help for like a second, please, you guys, Pepto-Bismol tablets are terrible for the gut. Find something. I like activated charcoal from Bulletproof. Um I was taking these Pepto-Bismol tablets because it hurt so bad. Plus I was emotionally just so in a, in a dark place. I was crying every night. And I thought that that pain was, was heartbreak, right? Which is interesting because that's sort of a somatic manifestation. And I'm just like, I'm so heartbroken. I'm in this physical pain. 
Oh my gosh. So dramatic. So then I go home, I get sick. And then as I get sick, I dive into this research of, of somatic feedback. And I realize that maybe not up in the throat, but where that pain was starting from down in my solar plexus to let's just call it my heart space is like the middle, middle place of it all started in my first relationship with, with the first abusive guy. And uh, we were three months in, he started punching himself in the face. And I had this feeling in my chest. And then I would get that feeling in my chest every time I knew that he was going to get mad and get that feeling in my chest. And I didn't feel safe to speak most of the time. And I, I, I stood up for myself actually more than I give myself credit for there, but I would, he overpowered and I took responsibility for his emotions and I would get that feeling. And then I left that relationship, went into a relationship with a guy that was 10 years older than me differently, different ways, not as abusive, but still like a liar. And, uh, I got, I would get that feeling. And then the third one, and the fourth one, I'd get that feeling and it all connected the dots to me because that same area is where personal power is found in Eastern philosophy. And I was not standing in my power at all. And then I, I got a disease manifested there and that was like pure somatic feedback. And so now when I feel that sometimes it's in my throat, sometimes it's in my heart, sometimes it's in my solar plexus, that flutter I know that there's something I'm not speaking and standing for out loud. That is, that is somatic feedback. And that comes from all the patterns. Mm -hmm. And I love that you bring up that it's the patterns because that's where we see, you know, the patterns of abandonment. If we have like these patterns of abandonment or these patterns of, you know, I've had people talk about patterns of breakups or not being able to trust people being stabbed in the back looking at those patterns, often there is a somatic, there is that like that gut punch, that that inner knowing that there's some alarm bell that goes off in our bodies and it feels differently for every single one of us. But your body has been speaking to you. You just haven't been listening. We weren't taught. We weren't taught how to listen. And I that was one of the things I actually wrote down that I'd like to talk about is our old self, we, we weren't trying to hurt ourselves. We weren't, we were doing the best we could with what knowledge we had and what tools we had at the time. I am always advocating for compassion for our younger self because our younger self did the best they could with what mm -hmm. they had and what they did brought us to this point. We are where we are now because that younger self did such a good job at helping us survive and get our needs met and do what we needed to do. And all of those lessons that we picked up, we now get to learn from and that's okay. Let me just slide in and say, and if you're not at a point where you like your life right now, but you've come this far in this podcast, you're, to, you're, you're moving into a good point in your life. So take that for note. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you're, you know, listening and, and wanting things to change is the first step. That's the first step. Always. I had a like 50% of other people. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm always advocating for that younger self. That younger self deserves compassion, respect, honor. They did so much for us and they did their very best with what they had. And as we offer them compassion, we also get to offer current us compassion because we're going to make mistakes too. And 60, 70 year old Terry is going to have to look back at 41 year old Terry with compassion and kindness, because I'm just going to keep growing. I'm just going to keep learning. I'm just going to keep evolving. 
And 30 years from now, I'm going to know things I don't know now. So I'm doing the best I can with what I have. So what's your question? You said you had a question. Oh, geez. You're right. I did say I had a question. <laughs> oh, so I, like, I wanted to talk about finding that compassion, I think, is where, where I was headed. Like, how do we find compassion as we, you know, are, as we're feeling into the trauma, as we're unpacking things, things are sometimes painful that we experience. How do we find compassion for the person that maybe gave away their power? How, how do we have compassion for that person who got into the patterns and, and had four abusive relationships? Okay, let me just sit with that for a second. What a question. So um, I know one of the ways I started getting feeling compassion for myself was feeling understanding the pain that my abusers were must have been feeling in order to do such things. Um, and that's a very challenging thing to face, specifically if you're still in it. Um, but for somebody to defile somebody else uh, in, in ways like the amount of pain and feeling compassion for the other half supported me in, in feeling better for that. And I think that as far as compassion for myself, I have curated and found evidence for the belief that, first of all, that I create my life. And so that radical responsibility comes in there, but I've curated and found evidence for the belief that everything has purpose. And so my life now is created for that 19-year-old girl or that 23-year-old woman. My life now is created because of her. And so if I look back and I feel angry or hurt in any way um, or lost in sadness, which can happen specifically because I didn't get out of things till I was older. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Um, you know, we can feel like we've lost time. Mm. Uh, I, when I look back and I feel pain, I know based off of how I've started to create my life that I can alchemize that pain into power. And I've practiced that. And I think that that it's a practice. And, um, when I see someone now, when I see someone who's in pain, when somebody, let's say somebody comes to me and they're in deep pain, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to get out or they don't know how to get over something that happened in the past, or they're just in this deep, deep seated, um, deep seated life experience. I get excited for the amount of raw energy that, that person's experience is going to give them the moment that they find the like the moment that they find the power in it because for me it was just a moment mm -hmm. that that started the rest of them where I was like I can create I can do whatever I want to nothing defines me like those moments of power and so it was a little bit of a of an ethereal answer to the question, but I think that it's based off of my worldview that everything happens for a reason and that I get to create my future because of what I've experienced in my past. Mm -hmm. 
And you talk about alchemizing pain into power. What does that look like practically, like alchemizing pain into power? What is your practice? Like daily? Daily, monthly, like however that looks, whenever pain comes up. So I'd say pain, my life is really beautiful at the moment, although I am human. And I don't know if people are into human design, but I'm an emotional, (laughs) I am an emotional uh, defined human. And I'd say when, when things get sticky, it's normally in my relationship because it's like right here, it's right now, it's all the time. We're with each other every day. Um, it's either there or it's something happening in, in gold mind. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we talk about relationship, because most of my trauma and a lot of people's is relational trauma. Mm-hmm. So I have stuff coming up consistently and I know that he has stuff coming up consistently. And if I notice something comes up, if I notice a lot of times I'm getting like bitter, that's my emotion. My go-to emotion is bitterness. Mm-hmm meaning like I'm pointing the finger at him. I, 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 the him or an outside situation. And I'm like really victimy. And I'm like, man, this, I can't do it because of this. Uh, if I find myself getting bitter in my relationship, first thing I'll do, I'm glad you asked this. Cause I, it's just shoot coming off the shoot right now. Uh, first thing I do is check myself to see if I'm creating any assumptions. If I'm creating any sort of story that's not true, I check to see what the actual facts are in in Mm. what's going on in my head. I don't say anything to him right away. Now, sometimes I will react. I think that happens. Sometimes I bite back. Uh, But if I am, if I, the moments I take responsibility, which are more and more as I practice, um, I check the facts. I see what I'm assuming. A lot of times we can make assumptions about facial gestures, word fluctuations, like all these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes just in doing that, this, the storm will calm, that bitterness will calm. And then, um, if the bitterness does not calm, I create space. And so like, I'll, I'll tell him, I'll be like, I think I just want to hang out up here tonight. Cause we're every night we decide if we're going to hang out together or not. And not every time I'm alone, it's because I'm mad, but sometimes I'll just create space. And sometimes it just takes time for that to lift because it's like mm-hmm. nothing. It has to do with like loading the dishwasher or something stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, if it still, do- if it lingers, if it lingers, that's when it comes to me pushing my comfort zone, utilizing my conscious communication skills and actually speaking it out loud to him to resolve something, either resolve something or just speak something out loud. Cause sometimes just speaking it out loud helps. And so that's sort of my process. I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm going to just like assess, see what I'm assuming, see if the, the, the yuck lifts, which a lot of times it just takes like a couple minutes. It's just like a moment, momentary thing. If it doesn't lift, then I care a little bit more for myself, take some space, maybe, um, do something I want. Mm-hmm. And then if it really, really lingers, then I have that, that conversation with my partner. Now, if that's just with me, if that's just something going on with me, or if I see something in my past that comes up, like recently I've been having a lot of old memories jogging up. I must've cleared something out. And there's like, and they're not all bad memories. It's not all like trauma release, but it was just like, interesting. Oh, interesting. Oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember this. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if that happens. You yeah. Probably that happens to me too. Mm-hmm. Um. If, I, if a memory comes up and I feel pain in a memory, um, I will look at that to see where I'm not either. Again, I'll look at that to see what I'm assuming. Because a lot of the times, if somebody does something mean to us, 
we're going to assume that there's ill intent there. And I choose to have the worldview that nobody is trying to hurt us. They're just hurt. Mm-hmm. And, or they're, they're spreading love in this really strange way. And um, so I'm going to look at my assumptions. I'm going to sort of do the same thing, see if what I'm assuming, look at the facts, I'm going to see how that might've affected my actions as I do today. And I'm going to see where I actually can find power in there by seeing where the pain is. Mm. So if I'm angry at that one moment where that one person did the one thing, why did that one thing make me angry? Okay. Well, it made me angry because they talked over me and didn't let me feel heard. Mm. And then I can sort of unpack it from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much good stuff. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I know your time is precious and you have a lot of things to do. Is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap up this episode? There's so much good stuff here. There is so much good stuff. Last words. Well, this was fantastic. This was so refreshing. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm gonna, I'm like gonna listen to it because I think it's gonna be really good. I think we've dropped a lot of nuggets and and exercises and things. And then anybody listening, if you have deeper questions or want to share a breakthrough or anything like that, I know Terry's open. I'm also open. Um, last thoughts on somatics. So. I want to just remind everybody that when you're feeling an emotion, you are not the emotion. And a way to combat this is with your words. If you want to speak it out loud, simply say, um, depends on how generally you want to go. You say, I'm feeling angry. I would, I would invite everybody to stop saying I am anything that's emotional. Stop saying I am angry. I am happy. I am anxious. A lot of times it's the unpreferred. Stop saying that and fit it in with, I feel angry or I'm experiencing anger and watch your life shift into more and more power. Yeah. That's my last little note. I love that you brought up language because that's honestly one of the ways you changed my life the most last year when I was in the coaching container with you and you were my coach. Um, You talked about stopping the use of I need to, and I have to, and changing it, like really getting clear with yourself about what do I want to do and like making it things that you want to do and that you feel like that feel delicious to you, like, Mm. like we've talked about. And so Shauna has changed my life so much. And I know that this podcast is going to provide some nuggets that really help people begin to change their lives as well. Thank you so much for the time, for coming on here, for helping people If you guys want to see more of Shauna, and I know you do, all of her details are in the show notes. You can catch her at her website. Remind us of what your website is. Go ahead and just tell us the details. That way they have them. How do you say that? Auditorially? How do you, what is that word? Auditorially? 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 Yeah, yeah, I think so. (laughs) I'm like, what is that word? So in your ears, you can hear it and you can see it in the show notes if you want. Um, my website is shaunacathleen.com. That's going to be the best access to find my podcast on any platform. And then I also offer um, like recordings of trainings. I actually have a conscious energetic language training up there. Uh, it's either free or like $20. And then um, so on any of the social medias, it's Shauna Kathleen. So anywhere you go, shaunacathleen.com, shauna.kathleen on Instagram, shaunacathleen on Facebook. You could just find, and I'm like the only Shauna Kathleen that you're going to see. 
more than likely you're going to know who I am. Um, and I feel like offering something for your audience, if I may. Please. So I have been doing these somatic alchemy development sessions for like almost three years now. I support people in, in developing their mind-body connection, releasing stuck emotion and getting clarity. If you are if you are someone who considers themselves to be a leader or an entrepreneur and you want one of these sessions, I want to offer you guys like a super discount. Um, they're normally, they're normally 222 and I'll shave. If you send me, Ooh, this will be fun. So if you send me the secret code of the word somatic, we can schedule an hour long somatic session, which comes with a 24 hour prep for, half off 111. That is awesome. Yeah, that is fantastic. You guys, if you are a leader or an entrepreneur, or you consider yourself that, or you're wanting to be, definitely take advantage of that because sessions with Shauna are amazing. So yeah. And I'm not, that's not publicly, I, I go in and out of publicly talking about booking those. And if you're listening to Terry's podcast, I'd be really excited to work with anybody. So I'll, otherwise Shauna Kathleen everywhere. I have free stuff out all the time. I have a goldmine classroom, Facebook group, which you're going to be able to access everything from the link I give to Terry. Fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of this amazing conversation and for being in my life and the ways you've influenced me already and the ways I know you'll continue to influence me in the future. I appreciate you. I look up to you. And just thank you for today. Thank you, Terry. All right. That was a delight. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being emotionally present and for everything that you bring to this experience together. I know your time is so valuable. And it means so much to me that you spend the time with me every week going through these topics and healing together. We will see you next Sunday. And don't forget, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to share something about your journey, or if you have suggestions about what topics you would like to hear most, don't hesitate to go and find me on Instagram at Emancipated Molly or on Facebook, we have a Facebook group and that information is in the show notes. Please go over there. Use your voice. Take up space. Let me hear from you. I love interacting with all of you. Thank you again. And we'll see you next Sunday.